0: And this week on Living in the Pages, I dive into the intriguing mind of prize winning novelist Suanne LeCur. We went so deep, you're just going to have to listen in and fasten your seatbelt. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Ann. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm so excited to talk with you. Well, oh, I'm excited to be here. I've never done a podcast before. Oh well, thanks for saying yes. <laughs> so this is airing January 16th, and your book will have been out for one month. One month. By Congratulations!
1: Then. Thank you. Number seven. Wow.
0: How does it feel?
1: Uh, it feels just the way it normally feels. It's a mix of I'm going to be sick <laughs> and I do it again. And I don't even want to think about doing it again. So it's a weird, after you're done and in between being Mm -hmm. done and and
0: releasing, it's a really weird time. It doesn't get any easier either, does it? No,
1: it doesn't. Like, you know, you think that you would get used to it or you would just, I mean, like some of the newbie pitfalls and the rookie mistakes and everything. Yeah, you know how to do it. But the emotional roller coaster, it's always the same. You're (sighs) always feeling like you're going to be sick.
0: Well... I just love your writing so much. Oh, thank you. So I'm excited to talk about your process and just kind of get into your brain a little bit. Get into my head. Yes. Okay. It's crazy in there, but okay. I love it. Mm -hmm. I got to meet you in Pittsburgh and it was wonderful. That's
1: right. That was a great event.
0: It was. I love the bells, the (laughs) Southern bells. They do a great event. Yes, they do. So... What would you like to tell us about yourself? On your website, you say some call your work therapy, fiction, or contemporary train wreck, and you call it emotionally intelligent romance. Yeah.
1: That's, <laughs> I love one that. One of the problems I have with my books is figuring out what shelf to put them on, especially with the last one. I bet. I was just talking with a writer and she was just like, I don't know where to put this on my shelves. She's yeah. like, it's a family saga, but it's a little historical fiction, but it's mm-hmm. also a love story and it's LGBT. And I'm like, mm-hmm. just, I, I was like, I don't know where to put it either, which makes marketing the books really hard, but I just like to think that I write life stories and mental health awareness is like a thread or a theme that runs through all of my books. Mm -hmm. And that's just comes from a place of wanting to make that normal. And especially with my latest book where, you know, the lead character has a therapist, but he's always had one. Mm -hmm. So his therapist is sort of like a character that he just is and is no big deal you know he's like he just needs them and he's there and he's on the team and and he's just part of it whereas in other books people have come to the realization that they need therapy and they right. need to go and that's part of the plot line whereas this it's just like background noise right. so that's one of the themes that's always worked through but i like love stories and so i i have a lot of romantic elements in my books but i like to take A relationship and put it against the world so Mm -hmm. it's not so much the boy meets girl or the or the progression of the relationship as it is the relationship against events that happen Mm -hmm. in the world yes so it's you know it's like you know how do we handle this together that kind of thing
0: and your location feels like it's a big part of the story typically that it's almost a character in itself in larks yes yeah that little town yes i well i have to ask the obvious question, what is your deal with birds? (laughs) (laughs) Well, this series,
1: it was interesting. Like I wanted to write a family saga and I wanted to write it in like a small town setting. I I actually love reading books where the location becomes Mm -hmm. a character or yeah, it becomes like an integral part. But I grew up in a town in the Hudson Valley where there were a lot of old families that became part of the town in the name. So I don't know if you like live in one of those small towns. And so the Brown family was like one of the founding families. And you have mm-hmm. Brown Avenue or you have Brown Street or Brownville. Yes. And I wanted to make the Larks a very old, this imaginary town. And so it ended up there was Lark House and there was the Lark Building and the Larks Restaurant and things <laughs> like that. So the name becomes associated with the town. So I was going to write that. And I, usually the title is the last thing mm-hmm. that shows up in my mind. Yeah, And then I saw just this funny post on Facebook where it was, you know, group terms for animals. And it was just a long list of, um, you know, an ostentation of peacocks uh-huh. and a pride of lions, you know, like, and all those funny, like, you know, and some of them were really funny. And it got to like a Disappointment of Pandas. I think that was it. And then like, so I was reading down all this, this list and I was mm. like, wow, these terms, they're called Terms of Venery. Uh-huh. They really sound like book titles. So I was like Murder of Crows, obviously, yes. that would be like a thriller of some kind. And then I got to Exaltation of Larks. I was like, that's very cool. I'm yeah. trying to write this little family saga. What if their last name was... Lark. I love it. Holy crap. That that works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's how I actually, and it was one of the first times where I had the title before I had the book. And then when the books began to pile up one on top of each other. Charm it, of
0: Finches. Yeah.
1: Charm of Finches. Yeah. Because... Well, I always start out writing these books, and I never know if I'm going to write a sequel. So I finished Lark's, and I was kind of like, well, you know, I could take Javier into the next thing, and God, what would I call that, you know, Mm -hmm. if I wanted to keep in line? And then I came up with the charm of Finches to make the character
0: Steph, to make his last name Finch. And then one just goes right into the other. What inspired these stories and how much research goes into each? A lot. (laughs) Yeah. It's about a year to write each one. Mm -hmm. So again,
1: you know, starting with Larks, it was wanting to write a family saga based against a town. And it really just starts out with a little family tree. Like Mm -hmm. I had in my head, okay, you know, there's this family and there's going to be two sisters and there's going to be a brother. And you asked about my process. My process is I don't really think up a storyline. I think of characters, hmm. and I just make the characters interact with each other and play around with them. And just it's almost like I I, I take out a big trunk of costumes and I just let them try on whatever they want mm-hmm. and. It's all at this phase. I'm in a notebook with pen and I am just writing by hand and I am writing anything I think of. And mm-hmm. I don't worry if it's going to end up in the book or if it's going to work or where it's going to go or how it's going to all fit together. It's very free stream of consciousness. You know, if it's in your head, write it down because obviously it wants to be written down. And that's right. just the way I do it for the first three or four months. Before you even write anything? Before I even write, like, you know, maybe I'll have a general idea. And even the thing with Lark's, one of the first things I wrote was the scene where the doorbell rings at three in the morning. Mm -hmm. I was trying to work on good opening lines because beginnings, (laughs) I always struggle with beginnings. Like I'm good with endings. The middle's fine. I always struggle with beginnings. So I was trying to practice like writing a good hook opening line. And I thought the doorbell rang at 3 a.m. I'm like, well, that's never good.
0: Yeah, (laughs) it's a great opening.
1: I know. So I just had like, you know, a husband and a wife sleeping and the doorbell rings at 3am. That's not good. And I go downstairs and I'm like, okay, who's on the porch? And I started it with, you know, there was a man on the porch and the wife was having the affair. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, haven't we been there already? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, hasn't that been done? And I was like, what if she thinks he's there for her? But no, he's really there for her husband. Okay, things just got interesting. <laughs> but you know, like I started with but I had no idea like, you know, any, I didn't know their name yet. Their name wasn't even Lark yet. And I was just like, okay, we got these three people. Let's uh, flesh that out. And the character of Javier, he went through a lot of manifestations. He Mm. was a public defender. He was a social worker. He was a junior parole officer. He was gay. He was straight. He was somewhere in between. Like he was the one who really took a long time to settle down into what he was.
0: At what point do you look at it and say, okay, I have enough to go on here? Because three or four months is like an immersion into the characters, which I love. I feel like that comes through in your books. Yeah. But I could also see how you could just keep going with it and not writing. <laughs> I'm not writing. Yeah. Just writing
1: all the fun stuff. Yeah. Like I, said, I, I write all the dessert first and then you got to put it together and write yes. like the meat and potatoes that puts it all together. Yeah. I, it just, it's a very instinctive thing. Like usually it's like one notebook worth mm-hmm. when I have a good idea of what's going on and how it ties together. But of course it's all in chunks on the pages. So that's when I go to Scrivener. I don't okay. know if he works yeah, work love Scrivener, Scrivener, but I love that because it's it works so perfectly with the way I write. And I just transpose all that stuff in there. And again, it all goes in. I use all of it. Mm-hmm. I don't use all of it, but all of it goes in there. And the nice thing about Scrivener is now it starts to let you arrange things around. And I notice if things are starting to fall into a particular order mm-hmm. for the story and where the gaps are. And just, you know, I get a, I get a sense of how it looks as a whole and then I'm usually writing just like little chapters in brackets, like something goes here, transition here, need something here. And then I have it in front of me. And then you start polishing and revising and
0: yes. writing
1: the boring stuff that you were avoiding for however long that exposition background stuff that I hate so much. Yes. <laughs> I know, all the stuff <laughs> that you dread. And then, you know, through it all, I'm always telling myself, don't cling to anything Hmm. because usually it's that one plot device thing that i've had in my head since the beginning that everything hinges on and that i'm so in love with usually that's the first thing to go overboard (sighs) and then it opens up like some amazing possibility that i didn't even know but um I do have a habit of, of clinging to like, you know, oh, this thing, I need it so badly. Yeah. Like, I want this helicopter rescue. And, then, <laughs> right. and then all of a sudden I'm like, you know, the helicopter rescue really isn't going to work. Oh. So it's hard. But, you know, that's one thing that has gotten easier with each book. Mm. I've learned to be more aware of the process and just enjoy being in the process. And if I'm stuck or I'm in a corner or I'm in a slump, it's just sort of like, okay, this is me in a corner. This yeah. is me stuck. And you always write your way out of that. And it's so fascinating to watch, Suanne. So, let's just see what you do here. <laughs> to kind of like, you know, just watch yourself, watch yourself panicking, watch yourself oh. be brilliant, watch yeah. yourself struggle. Because the process is over so soon. And like, you know, I find myself right now in that in between time where the book is finished, and I can't Mm -hmm. touch it anymore. But I'm still very immersed in it. Yeah. And it's sort of like that very hurry up and wait phase where you're waiting for the release. But even after the release, when it's out there in the world, it's it's very postpartum. Mm -hmm. I always tell people authors don't really need the support before the release, they really need it after the release. So (laughs) true. they're They're just like falling apart there.
0: Let me just interrupt for a second to let you know that Living in the Pages is part of the Frolic Podcast Network, a podcast community of everything romance related, from book club style discussion, author interviews, comedy critique, you name it. Find new shows to subscribe to at frolic.media podcast. And now let's get back to our interview. What do you do between books? Do you take a break? Do you mentally? (laughs) I
1: do. I take a break. That's when I try to read a Mm -hmm. lot. I was looking back over my goods reads list, and I was like, I've read nothing in 2019. Oh, my gosh. I got to catch up. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I will read. I just binged (laughs) all three seasons of The Crown Oh, and season one of Grace and Frankie. I crocheted a blanket for my daughter. I crocheted someone else a baby blanket. How much time do you usually take? You know, I... I've gotten into a rhythm lately where I've been like handwriting and thinking in like maybe the first 3 months of the year and then second quarter I really get down to it and write and then you know third quarter I'm really polishing it and so I notice my release dates are happening November December I'm noticing that, you know, what the seasons are with my writing, but I don't set a release date until I know Mm. some people write in panic mode. Yeah. (laughs) Emma Scott writes in panic mode. She'll set a release date like six weeks out. And I'm like, are you
0: kidding me? It's (laughs) so stressful. (laughs) And
1: she's not even done yet. But she's like, I need that sword hanging over my head. I need that pressure. And I'm like, no, no, thank you. That's not me. Yeah. I will just, you know, I'll put a release date out two years from today. Maybe, you know, (laughs) consider Mm -hmm. that date soft. And even with Condors, Condors is actually a whole year later than I thought because I started to write it. It kind of just died on me. It stalled, hmm. and so I switched gears and I wrote the Voyages of True Blood K, mm-hmm. which wanted to be written very badly. So I went with it, and that's another thing I've learned: is the story that wants to be written is going to be the one that's at the forefront of your conscience, So you yeah. know, if it wants to be written, go for it. Go, mm. you know, don't be afraid to to switch text and my readers were really great that I was like, you know, I'm going to push Condors out because this one really wants to come in. So True Blood came out in January and now Condors is going to come out in December. So it worked. That's two books in one year. So that's that's awesome. But you said the research. Yeah, the research is, is a big, big part of it. Once I, you know, get down into who the characters are, especially where they come from, there is a theme of the history of South America and Latin America running through these three books. Um Marks mm-hmm. and Condors more than Finch's. Right. Finch's had its
0: own research. Do you to deal visit with. these places? I
1: don't. I have never been, but it was I was having this conversation with my father the other day. It's so hard to think about how people wrote books before the internet because right. these days all you really need is you have to be willing to take the time and you have to be curious. Um, And if you put those two things together with the amount of information that is out there, if you've never been, you can get pretty damn close to having been. Just as something as simple as Google Maps, Mm -hmm. you can zero in and you can you can see the place. And then with all these historical locations in Chile, all of them have websites All of them have pictures, all of them have archives. And then, with anything else, I've found that experts in their field love to be consulted. Mm -hmm. I'm always like, and every book usually has some professional, one or two professionals that I've consulted, and they love it. Yeah. They really will bend over backwards to help you make it as authentic as possible. And it's so funny how, like, so much of the research. It's not even front and center in the book. It's all underlying. It's all part of the structure and the foundation. It's supposed to be invisible, Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: all those little details that just make it really authentic, that's the point of it. And that takes a lot of time and that takes a ton of patience and a ton of organization. And then taking all that information that you've amassed, and whether it's, you know, on notes or just 8 million browser windows or bookmarks <laughs> or whatever, to just then kind of, you know, how am I going to work all this into the story so that it still progresses and the plot still moves along, but, you know, it's not turning into a textbook.
0: Right. That's hard. Yes. You are a perfectionist, mm. I can tell. <laughs> you know what else
1: I've learned with every book? And I learned this from Elizabeth Gilbert. Done is better than perfect. Yes. And that's a huge one because Condors, writing Condors was a wrestling match. That book just did not want to stay put. Those are
0: so hard when they're
1: like They're that. so hard. And, you know, I think it was a good lesson for me because at the end of it, I was kind of like, something about this book is just not quite right, not quite there, not quite what I thought. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) I said, I think this book is what it wants to be. And Mm -hmm. it's done. And done is better than perfect. And I am okay with letting this one not be my best one. Yeah, And I'm ready to just, you know, let go of it and write the next one which is huge because is otherwise huge. otherwise I'm in analysis paralysis and I'm picking at it and I'm tweaking it and mm-hmm. I'm kicking it and I'm yelling at it and I'm mad at it this whole idea of separating yourself from your um Elizabeth Gilbert has such a great TED talk on this where you just you make the creativity something external from yourself mm. Mm-hmm. So that if it's going badly, it's not all on you. You can kind of just like turn your head and address a corner of the room and say, hey, um, if this isn't brilliant, you know, you need to come here and do your job. <laughs> right. but, um, but then to sort I of like, that. yeah, to separate the book from yourself and just say the book seems to be what it wants to be. It, it's the book over yes. there, which is not me. Right. And it's time to let it go and let the next idea come along. yeah. Because I believe ideas pick you. You don't pick them. Mm -hmm. They come to you. You can only be so perfect.
0: Well, you couldn't write a bad book to save your life. So I think you're okay (laughs) either way. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That's very kind of you. Let's do a fast five. I will ask you questions and you'll answer off the top of your head. Okay. Have you considered a book titled A Posse of Turkeys? last of turkeys that's a good one but uh, who are the turkeys mm.
1: you know because all these things are like last yes. names or or some kind of theme that's central to it yeah,
0: never mind doesn't work you took me seriously oh I took everything seriously <laughs> what is the last show you watched and loved I watched the first season of Grace and Frankie
1: mm-hmm. which was terrific like I it started out that I just thought it was just going to be like you know this this uh comedy but then there yeah. were like so many poignant moments and great. And I was like this is a great
0: show I'm loving the show last song you heard on the radio
1: Matt King Cole the Christmas song I was nice. playing my Pandora
0: I was playing my Pandora old school Christmas pizza or tacos tacos where will we find you on Friday nights on my couch either
1: reading or watching Grace and Frankie <laughs> <laughs>
0: what's the best age 40s Will we see you at any signings this year? Yes,
1: I will be at Talk Book, uh, the Talk Book Author Event in April. I will be at Books by the Bridge. I will be at Tempted and Tantalizing. Sweet and
0: Alpha Author Event. I got
1: four coming up in 2020. Nice. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, I think it's time for us to sing a song.
1: We have to sing.
0: Yeah, it's what I do on this thing. This this was not in the uh, <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't in the contract. <laughs> oh my God. What are we going to sing? How about I Believe I Can Fly? (laughs) Nate's laughing, isn't he? (laughs) Yes, he is. (laughs) I believe I can fly. Uh huh. I can believe I I can can touch touch the the sky sky. think Think about about it every night and day. Spread my wings and fly Fly away. away. I believe I can score. (laughs) Soar. You're good. (laughs) I I can score. I don't sing see me running through that open door i believe i can fly she can fly i believe i can fly she can fly i believe you can fly can fly.
1: <laughs> you really don't want to be doing this. Oh I my word! I them. said I
0: believe I <laughs> can score. I can believe I. Still- <laughs> well, we can. Uh, well, thank you so much for talking with us today. Well, thank you for having me. It was totally fun. One more random question: mm-hmm. Where do you stand on John Malkovich? Hmm, inside his head. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Are you on the half floor? Yeah, I stand on the half floor instead. his
1: Okay. <laughs> I'm the puppeteer.
0: Nice. Oh, my God. Well, have a great rest of the day and enjoy your time between books. I hope you get lots of reading in and do lots of fun stuff.
1: Thank you. And thank you so much for having me.
0: Take care. Bye. Bye. A Scarcity of Condors is out now. Go buy it. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Living in the Pages is now part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.